think we all know the pedigree of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology when it comes to bird resources, and we at the ABA are excited to partner with the Cornell Lab of O to offer an amazing deal exclusive to ABA members. ABA members can now get a 15% discount to any new subscription to Cornell's amazing new Birds of the World resource that is applicable for three years. Birds of the World is a powerful resource that brings deep scholarly content from four celebrated works of ornithology into a single platform where birders can answer all their life history questions for every species of bird they could want. It is extraordinary. You can get more information at birdsoftheworld.org. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm Nate Swick. We did not expect to do a show this week. I was going to take the week off. But my friend and regular podcast guest, you probably know her, Jordan Rudder, came to me with an idea. She said, I should interview you, she said, for a special four-year anniversary thing, which just so happens to be the 44th episode that we put out in the year 2020, which is pretty crazy if you think about. Anyway, we did it. That's the episode for today. Uh, We took questions from Twitter, and Jordan asked all of them, but I made the executive decision to cut a few for length. So I am sorry in advance if yours was removed. I will come back and address them all on Twitter. Uh, Otherwise, this episode would have been like an hour and a half long. And that's that's really the sort of thing that we want to save for members-only content in 2021. Joking, joking. Anyway, I won't keep you. No rare birds this time. We'll catch up on that in the new year. Here's Jordan Rudder. First of all, we made it through 2020. We did. Is yay. <laughs> <laughs> That's something. I guess we'll take We did it. Um, yeah. And I thought that after this ridiculous, absurd year that we've been through, birdie and not, uh, it would just be an incredible opportunity to get to know you, Nate. Uh, get to know the man, the legend, the mic. That's <laughs> very right? generous. Yeah, well, it's been it's been a fun year for the podcast, and uh, you know we had this open week, so why not? Let's do it. Yeah. So I don't want any introduction. People can find me online at J.E. Rudder, but we really are here to get to know Nate Swick. Oh, all right. So I'm thinking that after we opened up the opportunity for questions to Twitter. We had several folks write in. I want to make sure I get through those questions. And then I have a few other questions. Absolutely. Ask you as well. I have 2020 questions, podcast questions, bird questions, and then just like rapid fire, like gut instinct. I want to know what what you think. I will give uh, some semblance of answers to all of these questions. Thank you to everybody who, uh, who sent them in. Okay, so to start, these are in order of submission. Okay. So just no, no, no favorites. Trying to trying to represent the people here. <laughs> so Donna, aka at Queens Girl Thirty, would like to know yeah. about Nate. Your specific controversial stands on political birding and other issues, um, and has the ABA ever asked you to tone it down? Uh, yeah. Hey, Donna, who, uh, is a regular, regular guest here on the podcast. Um, well, you're really, uh, you're not, you're not holding back right off the bat. All right. So, um, <laughs> I will say that I've been really fortunate that the ABA has been pretty hands off with regard to the production of this podcast. I think that they, they trust me to take stances, to do interviews, to 
you know, put the ABA in the best possible light here on the podcast, which is in fact, you know, one of the one of the main things that we want to do. As far as controversial stands, I I don't know. Like I I do think that we have sort of pushed the boundaries a little bit, uh, especially with regards to things like the border wall um, and bird names for birds and things of that nature. But I, what I want to do with those is to kind of put those ideas out into the birding community. And I'm not going to, you know, sit here and pretend that the podcast listenership is wholly representative of the birding community. I think that it's a, it's a, sort of a subset, certainly kind of skews probably a little bit younger. Um, but I, I, I want to put those ideas out there and kind of push for them a little bit because I think that in the end, what we're kind of aiming for is a more kind of bird friendly, birder friendly world. And I think that those concepts, you know, they, they, they move us in that direction. I don't know. I, you, you, Jordan have also sort of dealt with this sort of issue and I'm not trying to turn the, no, the no, no, issue yeah. back on you, but I know that's something <laughs> that, that you've dealt with uh, as well. You know, I, I, I think, in person, I might be much more forceful about these ideas. When I'm on the podcast, I do try to, and be as sort of open-minded and fair-minded as I possibly can be. Some people might complain about that and, and have, in fact. Uh, but I, I just think it's important to get those ideas out there and, and to talk about them. And as far as politics is concerned, well, I mean, birding's political. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. And I think folks need to remember that all of us wear different hats simultaneously and try (laughs) to take them off, switch them out. We all have our favorite birding hat, whether that's a baseball cap, a Tilly hat, but ultimately we wear many at the same time. And we also are our individual people as well. So while Mm -hmm. we try to be unbiased, while we try to be, you know, very fact neutral facing, there definitely are times where it's also us trying to be ourselves, be good people and, nudge things forward again for that awareness or just trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And I do think those things are, these things are of interest to the burning community. I mean, these are interesting concepts, even just to kind of throw around in your, in your mind and and think about them and speak about them with people and sort of, and maybe people don't realize that, but a lot of times when I'm taking these stances, like I am, the podcast is, is to me in some ways an opportunity for me to kind of put my own mind in order people may not know that I typically write a script when I'm, when I'm doing the introduction and the commentary, things of that nature. And, and that process makes it so that I can sort of take these ideas, these concepts and, and sort them in a way that makes sense in my mind and then kind of express them to you. So what you are getting as a podcast listener, sort of the, the end result of my sort of, I don't know, I don't want to say soul searching, but sort of, the interior monologue that I'm sort of constantly running in my head. Which is awesome. I mean, really, and I think that really highlights this episode as well, that we all do consider you a friend or that we know you and everything, but then we don't. I hope so. Right? So it's kind of this yeah. double-sided coin of like, yeah. we get like your innermost birdie thoughts every episode. Yeah. And yet uh, this is also a chance for us to be like, no, really like break it down for me. Yeah, you know, podcasting is such a weird medium in that way in that it really is like a relationship. I feel like there's a lot of people out there who who have a relationship with me and I I totally agree. Like they you do because I am like in your ear every week. I mean, there's something about podcasting that is really actually kind of intimate 
It's different than radio. It's different than reading things online or social media. It's like someone speaking like frequently, like through the ear, your earbuds, like right into you. And I don't take that for granted. And so when I want to, you know, make these cases and, and, and sort of push these boundaries, maybe a little bit, um, I definitely want to give you like the best of my thoughts and, and, you know, maybe it makes sense to you. Maybe you'd like it. Maybe you don't, that's fine. You know, I want to think that it's like a friend speaking to you and, and, you know, trying to figure these things out along with the rest of us. Totally. Cool. Just because again, so many questions really want to get everyone uh, represented. Um, Next up is Tim uh, at IBA, the daily, and he wants to know what is your, again, Nate, uh, top target bird that is an ABA code one or two bird. Necessi- <laughs> not necessarily a nemesis bird, just what you would yeah. most like to see. Okay, so not a nemesis bird. So I have one of those as well. Um, well, feel free to add that, right? Like, okay. Well, I mean, it's become sort of a, a, a running gag with my local birding friends, uh, this bird, uh, because it's like one of the last breeding birds that is still available in my state that I don't have not seen not for lack of trying but i just have not and it's it's roughed grouse i would actually really like oh, to see a roughed grouse good, yeah. yeah good bird they are uh they're jerks <laughs> and so this idea of like uh, oh you just got to go to the blue ridge parkway and drive around before dawn and you'll eventually find one i've spent many many pre-dawn hours on the blue oh. ridge parkway driving around trying to get these things uh and i've had uh, no luck uh so that's probably the most outstanding code one species that uh, I haven't seen because it's in my own state. Like I, they nest like two hours away oh from gosh. me. So whatever. But um, as far as ones that I would really like to see, ooh, there's so many. Um, you know, chestnut back chickadee is one ooh, that yeah. uh, good one. Quite common where it is. Uh, the Pacific Northwest is a bit of a black hole for me. It's the one pace I haven't really spent any time in. And so chestnut back chickadee, it's just kind of neat. That kind of caramel color. I don't know. I like chickadees and just the back chickadee is a really colorful one. Moving right along, Claire, aka at Nunavut Birder, uh, wants to know when you are coming yeah. to, to bird in Nunavut since uh, Claire can't keep this ivory gull around forever. I had my first experience birding in Canada last summer in Newfoundland and we did, we did an episode about it. And um, yeah, got to get back up there again. And a lot of friends, I mean, you know, Jody Allaire, he's on the podcast yep. quite often. Yep. Um, Julie Zarankin was a recent guest, all great Canadian birders. I would love to, uh, love to get up there again. Once, uh, once this pandemic is over, As, but none of it, none of it is a hard place to get to. I just as soon have those ivory goals come down to me. I mean, truly shout out to the underappreciated, uh, Canadian birders and Canadian places to go birding is absolutely, especially, yeah. especially those really remote places the boreal which i think is actually on everyone's top you know go-to list but we forget mm-hmm. about it just incredible so yeah gotta get that gotta get that can con that's what jody Allaire calls it yeah canadian content i know they like it shout out to my canadian friends <laughs> <laughs> at must seed birds wants to know what your worst id mistake is yeah i've uh, i've told the story in other venues i don't know if i've told it here but uh, one of the things that's great about birding is that it does constantly humble you. You know, you're constantly put in positions where you realize that your knowledge or your skill or whatever is inadequate. And you're constantly given opportunities to kind of overcome that, which is a thing that I really like about bird 
bird watching and birding. And uh, so this is this is uh, sort of a setup for that 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 sort of ex- that sort of story. Um, so I was I was leading one ABA or was helping to lead an ABA trip with George Armistead. Uh, this was a few years ago on the Outer Banks, and so we it was like three days offshore and one day onshore birding. And this was our onshore day, and it was kind of a nasty overcast day because the storm had just gone past. And um, I was I I really wanted to see a magnificent frigate bird because that's still a kind of a a bogey bird on my North Carolina list. And it's not really anything you can ever like chase. It's just, you're lucky to be in the right place at the right time when a frigate bird flies over. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. So um, a storm had just passed and a lot of people on the Outer Banks that day and the day before had been seeing frigate birds, a lot of frigate birds around. Okay. So I was kind of had my, I was, I was amped. I was like kind of loaded for frigate birds because <laughs> I was on the lookout. Yep. And so we're driving uh, by Cape Point the van is kind of going by and there's this kind of stand of big pine trees off to my, off to my left. And they're real tall. And I see this bird kind of cruise over the top of the pine trees. And I, I yell out magnificent frigate. And at that point I realized that it is not a magnificent frigate bird. It is in fact a great egret. <laughs> yes. So you made yes. yourself, how could you mistake a great egret? for a magnificent frigate bird. Well, I mean, look at their profile, their silhouette. Right, yeah, totally. Those legs trailing out behind kind of looks like a tail and they kind of curl up their neck and it looks like they've got that bill sticking straight out. And it was overcast and so the light was super weird. So my first impulse of it was that it was very dark instead of, you know, very light. Yeah. So that was probably my worst ID mistake because it was in front of a lot of people. But uh, when I'm on my own, I make mistakes all the time. I think we all sort of do. Yeah, there is something about the group setting that makes those worst ideas even worse because when you're on your own there's something about like oh like you just i don't know you had a brain fart or something like that yeah well i i talk through i talk to myself a lot and so i uh i talk through my ideas a lot of times even when i'm kind of by myself Mm -hmm. i Mm -hmm. I like say something and kind of see you know just to hear it and to kind of work my way through it. So I do that all the time. Uh, it's the sort of thing that doesn't really work very well when you're leading a group because <laughs> you're like constantly getting things wrong. Oh, I know. Well, and the thing is, there there's something that I actually like about making ID mistakes in certain mm-hmm. groups, like with young birders yeah. or new birders. Like there's something both humbling and like level playing field a- aspect. But totally. when you make an ID mistake, with like friends who then hold it over you and it becomes a running <laughs> joke that that by far is the worst <laughs> yeah yeah you know because i've seen really really good birders make mistakes and when you're you're right when you're leading a group that's when it happens because you kind of have this this impulse to to get the name out to get people on the bird as quickly yep. as possible yep. like you feel that desire when you're by yourself that's less important like you can take your time and get it right but when you're leading a group, you you feel that obligation very strongly. And that's when people can can frequently make uh, mistakes. Yep. Moving right along, it might not be a mistake to you, but some people might mistake your answer as one. Mm. What is your favorite brewery? Brewery. Harley at Harley Winfrey would like to know. And, okay. and my lead in to that about saying mistake is because birders love uh, food and drink. And so, yes, they do. So this is where you can, but then also have a potentially be that controversial answer. So okay, um, yeah. So I'm actually pulling out my bone right now uh, because I had one the other day that was from a North Carolina brewery that I liked a lot. 
Uh, it was called it was a it was a breakfast stout called Merry World Breakfast Stout oh. uh, from a brewery com- called uh, Wise Man Brewery. It's in Winston Salem. Oh man, it was really really good. But I was sort of in the mood for a stout. You know, it was kind of cold outside mm-hmm. and it was stout season. Um, <laughs> so right now that's real high. Uh, we have some really great breweries in in North Carolina. Um, Highlands Brewery out towards Asheville, uh, Duck Rabbit down around Farmville. I mean, there's a lot of really good beers. It's hard, you know, it's hard to choose just one. It's kind of like naming your favorite bird, right? right? There are times when I will pick anything, Um, but it changes from day to day, you know? I I, Well, so what's your favorite type of beer? Because that's another, like... See, even that changes with the seasons. Really? Okay. Okay. I'm 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 in a real kind of dark beer frame of mind uh-huh. right now because it's winter and that's sort of what i i want like a beer i can chew yeah so um yeah the stout really hit the spot um but in the summer like i got really into sours oh nice yeah and there's uh-huh. this ballast point peach sour which i you know just got on a lark um that was fantastic and and, and it's actually the only beer that my wife and i both liked equally we have completely different tastes when it comes to to alcohol and Whoa. so yeah that, that feels like quite like. the fine because i yeah i have a similar situation with my partner um yeah. so it, it is finding that overlap is huge yeah it's tough because she's a wine drinker and i'm more of a beer gotcha. drinker. but that sour like was sweet enough for her but also kind of I don't know. Like I, I like sour candies as well. So it was a nice, it was, it's kind of like nice. That. Um, well, yeah. this is not a Twitter question, but, uh, <laughs> what's your coffee order then? I take it black. Okay. I don't take anything in it. I've, I have a theory about like coffee and beer and like how you, I can usually predict people, people's favorite beer by how they take their coffee. Oh. Um, it works most of the time. I'll just say that. I think if you like black coffee, you tend to like things that are a little more, kind of a hoppy beer typically yep. okay and um, okay. if you take like milk then you kind of like a brown ale kind of a malty beer I, I, this, <laughs> this, this theory in the past i have sort of broken it out more uh yeah no this, this is, is this is awesome um yeah. i'm not gonna get into it because this is about uni uh i have similar similar <laughs> correlation theories as well but you totally uh hit hit the nail on the head for for gabriel and i he likes black coffee and ipas and then i I love my yeah. caramel lattes and my my ales, my brown Yeah, like yep. a brown ale. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of birders have these sort of interests in in beer and food and things of that nature. And I think, you know, birding is so much like that too because we're always kind of on the lookout for these, you know, micro brews, these small breweries, mm-hmm. these kind of very localized restaurants that get like locally sourced yep. food and all that stuff. And like, isn't birding the ultimate? And that sort of activity, because every single place that you go to has like a special suite of birds that we kind of obsess over and try to seek out. But no matter where you are, even if you're in a place that you wouldn't necessarily think would be a great birding location, you know, you're going to find something special. All the local birders know that you can find a barn owl here, or this is a really great place for Lacan Sparrow or whatever. But you like birds... And beer and food, all that is is similar. Like it's the same place, same people that'll take you to like the hole in the wall Mexican. Oh, place. totally. Well, and it's also just like the simple pleasures and like you know just scaling back to like what the bare bones of what you need, right? Like if yeah, you have if you have your that, coffee yeah. and like a baked good in the morning, watching some, it's like no better <laughs> way to start the day. And then if you get your lifer that day, maybe you have some lifer pie and like celebratory beer yeah. at you know, 
in the evening. It's it's the best. There you don't need more. So yeah. yeah. So on that note, we're going to move on to John's question, aka at JVC99. And John would like to know, what's the ratio of pun appreciation to pun complaint feedback that you receive? Um, when people take the time to message me or email me, they tend to appreciate them. I'm just going to assume that like 100% of the people out there are feeling it. I just, you know, people that don't like them, they probably turn the turn the credits off. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, which is fine. If you get what you want out of the podcast without, you know, listening to the credits or or listening to my terrible jokes, um, that's that's fine. I'm 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 glad you're here. <laughs> they, I mean, then they are they are awful. I I am glad to get that feedback though because you know, podcasting is sort of a very solitary uh, experience. As I am sitting here in my office and I am reading for the most part these things. Uh, off a script that I've written a little bit before, there's like no response. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. So you just have to assume that I just imagine that I'm killing it. Yeah. So. No, I, I totally hear that. I, I feel like the puns though, just are that like levity sometimes that having fun with the podcast, just with words, with birds, all of that. Well, I certainly know that some of them are better than others. <laughs> so but coming up with them every week and trying to tie them to something that was also in the podcast can, is actually one of the most time-consuming parts of the podcast, to be completely honest. Well, speaking of all of that, Brody, a.k.a. at B-R-D-C-S-S-T-L-B-T-T. Yeah, Brody Talbot. Yeah, he was on the podcast. podcast. Well, maybe he wants to bias you with your answer to his question. <laughs> uh, he wants to know, what was your favorite interview? So I'm going to... I'm gonna amend this a little bit just to help. Yeah. I'm going to be nice and say, you can't say me. <laughs> okay, sure. And um, let's do both uh, 2020 and ever. Okay. So this is a really hard question. Right. Yeah. So I will, I will, I will punt and I will talk about my favorite type of interview. Okay. So I really enjoy it when I sort of come into the interview without a real good idea of how it's going to go. And then through the course of the interview, it turns into something that I end up having a ton of fun at. And, and, I, and I understand that that's not always obvious, you know, on the listener's side, because you don't know, you know, what I'm thinking before I talk to somebody. But um, those are the ones that are personally most meaningful. Um, I'll give you one good example. It's not my favorite interview. Um, because there, there have been a bunch of them, and it's hard for me to to go back and remember all of them, and I don't want to slight any one guest. But I will say one that I did relatively recently that was sort of like that for me, and that was when I talked to um, Ashley Ahern, who is a podcast host mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the Grouse, the Bird Note Grouse series, which if you haven't listened to it, uh, you should. It's it's really good. But she, so she was a podcaster, and that helps because, one, the quality of the audio <laughs> from a purely technical perspective, is going to be okay. impeccable, which I really appreciate. And two, she kind of had the same questions and the, the as as I would have. Like she sort of had been rolling around the same sort of ideas without preconceived notions that I perhaps had going into talking about this. Like she wasn't necessarily an expert in sage grouse. She was, uh, you know, a, a journalist who was investigating this story and had some really interesting insights in it. And and. And I didn't know going into it what to really expect, but it ended up being just a really great conversation. And I think you, I think the listener can sort of tell. That's awesome. You're having a lot yeah. of fun in a, in a conversation like that. 
Yeah. But that's one that I think of that's sort of of a type, but there are so many. I like I I there's not a single one that I that I you know didn't enjoy or didn't come out of it thinking, wow, I think that was really worthwhile. So my perspective from this on this podcast is that I'm you know, I'm not talking about things that I'm not interested in in some sense. And you know, I think that that works. I mean, that's the sort of people that I choose that to approach about being guests. That's the, um, the sort of tack that I sort of take when I'm trying to come up with questions. Um you know, I'm, I'm always going to have some interest in it. Yeah, I, I, I hope that it shows. I think it does. Who do you feel like was a great catch? Like, who were you like, mm. wow, like I got to interview them. And conversely, mm. who would you love to get on the on the podcast? Oh, jeez. I don't, I, I, I don't like, know. This That's is your really chance hard. to like get social media <laughs> murders to like rally and like make this happen so i I don't know you know i uh when i talked to otilia uh, portilla padua the filmmaker from mexico who did the uh documentary on netflix Mm -hmm. that felt like a big catch because like her her that was this was a netflix documentary like a big deal and um you know early on very early on when i interviewed um ian harding who was like a like a legitimate hollywood actor Mm mm-hmm who I recently, I like, I was watching a movie the other day, uh, Ford versus Ferrari, um, not bird related, but it's really good. <laughs> and he was in it. And I was like, I talked to that guy. Um, that was really cool. Um, I like, I, I don't know, you know, I, everyone I, I talk to, I think has something really interesting to say. And, and, you know, I wouldn't ask him to be on it if I didn't think that was the case. So, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's also your, your podcaster perspective coming out though, too. Yeah everyone has a story. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you that some of the episodes that I've, that since we've gone weekly that I've really enjoyed are the, this month and birding episodes of which you've been a part of. Um, yes. because I, those are, those are really fun because, uh, for two reasons. One, what I want to do with those is to kind of show the, the diversity of the birding community, diversity of ideas, diversity of backgrounds, diversity of everything. Um, and without having to feel like they have something special to promote or whatever, it's just a bunch of people who I like, like sitting around and talking about birds, which is like the point of that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a way to kind of bring it down from maybe more serious discussions or more formal discussions, not necessarily serious, but formal discussions because it is sort of informal. And someone wrote me back and gave me some feedback and said that those episodes feel like just a group of friends sitting around talking birds. And that's like, that's what I want to do with that. That's what I hope it comes across as. Um, So that I was really happy to see that. I mean, that's how I feel both as a very honored participant and listener of Mm -hmm. like, there's just, Again, going back to there's just nothing better than just those like simple things of food, drink, and birds, you know, yeah. and like, it, uh, even more so in 2020, being able to just talk birds is like so needed. It's so wonderful. It's, yeah. um, no, well, I mean, I need it too. I mean, it's, it's for me <laughs> as much as it is for the people listening. Like, it is this, this, this year has felt so alienating. Yep. It, it's been hard for a lot of us and for me included. And, having that uh, tentpole episode to look forward to every month has been something that it's been fun to pick the people and kind of play with different personality types and put them together in interesting combinations. And it, it's been, it's been a fun thing to do. Yeah. Speaking of just talking birds and talking uh, that food and drink uh, at musty birds is going to keep that theme going and mm-hmm. want to know what your best birding snacks are. 
Um, let's see. Uh, and I, I know you have kids, so feel free to give like tips or shout outs or whatever to birding with younger kids. Too. Yeah, I don't do a lot of that. I'll be honest. <laughs> when I'm with kids, I'm birding, but I'm not like serious birding. Yeah, I don't usually take my kids on like really serious birding trips because I don't like, you know, how birding is. It can be like brief moments yeah. of high excitement, but also kind of long stretches of, of boredom. And for kids that can be difficult, but, um, yeah. so I, I only take them with me when I'm like, I know I'm going to get the bird or I know we're going to see something cool. So, um, but as far as, you know, snacks on the road, uh, I'm notorious for stopping at like nasty fast food places. I also do like hole in the wall, Mexican places in different places all over North Carolina. Uh, my friend, Scott Winton, who I think is a podcast listener. We, he used to live in North Carolina. He's moved away now, but we used to like chase birds together and like, stop at little Mexican places and backwaters in North Carolina and have lunches. Cause you could always get like really cheap lunches there. But when I'm on the road, apples, I eat a lot of M and M's. Oh, um, okay. Uh, yeah. is a good on the road. Uh, cause I can eat it with one hand and still keep driving. Uh, things like that. All good staples. Sounds like deconstructed trail mix almost. It is. It is. Yeah. I don't like the peanuts. I'll just go with the M and M's. Thanks. I'll pick those. Up. <laughs> uh, Birding Beards MN wants to know the one bird you haven't seen yet that you daydream most about. Uh, you know, I usually don't daydream too much about about birds. Um, I think this is a typical birding thing. And, you know, I'm always kind of running through in my head um, what I'm likely to see in any given situation in any given place. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm trying to narrow down those. I don't know, 25, 30 regular species of birds and just kind of keep them in my head. As far as like potential birds, I don't know. You know, I went to the the, the Outer Banks. I talked about this in the podcast that released recently. And, and you know, I was kind of thinking in terms of finding something unusual and it, that worked out. Um, so that's sort of what I think about more than any individual bird species, sort of scenarios and, and phenomena uh, more. Maybe that's large scale types of birds more than just any individual birds yeah at n underscore a underscore gilbert's question which is he wants to talk about technology and other birding related gear that is not optics okay so like birding specific gear that is not like the traditional birding gear that i use yeah Okay. So that's where that's where I'm kind of going technology. Obviously, you could say about like apps and things like that, which mm-hmm. is you know current. We're in the technological age. Yeah. Are there other things that like you have Nate in your backpack that like everyone should have? I, I know that Neil mentioned. I saw that question, and Neil mentioned like a an external battery charger for your phone. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't have one of those. Uh, that is great. I have a couple little uh, Phoenix flashlights that oh. I've picked up over the years that are yeah. fantastic anytime that I am anywhere where their nocturnal stuff might be fun. Um, the beach, I love to go out on the beach at night and look for things that get washed up. Um, the, the rainforest, I remember a, a really wonderful experience I had a few years ago with some friends in Honduras as part of sort of a press type junket thing. Like we were burning the candle at both ends. We'd go out after dinner every night after the sun went down and look for critters in the trees with flashlights, which is a lot of fun. That sounds fun. Um, let's see. What other things do I sort of carry 
with me. That's about it. I will say that there are apps that I use on my phone that aren't necessarily for birds that I found very useful. Um, living mm-hmm. in a coastal state, I always have an app that tells me the tides. Um, oh, yep. A really mm-hmm. good thing to keep an eye on when you're birding on the coast. Um, I use the voice memo app on my phone all the time, not just for recording bird vocalizations, but for recording um, if I have like ideas for the podcast while I'm out birding. Which, and so I'm, I'm thinking of ideas for commentaries or or people I want to talk to, and I'll make a note in my phone. Um, I used it when I found that McGillivray's warbler a couple weeks ago. I made oh, still can't believe that. Yeah. on my phone so that I would have notes for when I filled out the bird records committee form. So I'd have like exactly what I was thinking in the immediate aftermath of finding that bird. So you mentioned uh, recording, actually, and this is a great, uh, great next question mm-hmm. related to that. And that is, what is your favorite bird call sound, song, note, et cetera, and why? And this is coming from at Birds Nature Life. Mm, okay. I like a veery. And I realized that um, yep. choosing a catharist thrush might uh, seem a little basic, and it is, but uh, they sound like uh, laser guns, like in a sci-fi movie, and I love that. And whenever I hear a veery, I'm usually uh, here in North Carolina, uh, like up in the mountains, which is a really wonderful place to be, uh, you know, up over 3,500 feet up where they nest, and then they're singing in the woods there. And it's just, just a wonderful sound and usually a wonderful setting. And uh, yeah, Fury. Fury is my favorite. Not to round out all the questions because I'm going to be greedy and ask you some of my own. Yeah, good. Um, but round out the Twitter submitted questions. We're going to end with Keith, mm-hmm. a.k.a. K.W. Rudder, a.k.a. Jordan's dad. I was going to say, is there a relation there? <laughs> uh, yes, actually. Yeah, I just got to give a shout out. Hey, dad. Hey. Um, but I am a lifelong birder and for years the joke was that he did not have like an official first name. He was just known as like Jordan's dad. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I'm super proud of him and I, you know, I hope I make him proud too. You're doing uh, great, Jordan. (laughs) Thanks. Um, But I hopefully I'm going to get his question uh, right after all you have experienced other than rarities, right? So you can't talk about rarities. Mm -hmm. What excites you about birds and birding? That's the same thing that excited me from the beginning, right? It's this, it's every time you go out birding, there's a possibility that you are going to see or experience something extraordinary. Like it's not necessarily a rarity. It could be a new behavior of a species that you've thought you were totally familiar with. It could be, it might not even be a bird. It might be a cool snake or a salamander or mammal or whatever. Like birding is just such a wonderful opportunity to put yourself in the position to see really, really cool things. And that has always been what's driven me as a birder. Yeah, I mean, I gotta, I gotta give a shout out again, uh, KW Rudder, my dad, he, he instilled in me and he still to this day says that birding is like the lottery because go out, same place, different day, different day, different places, whatever. And, you know, just seeing a really nice look, even at a common species, Mm -hmm. such a gift. Yeah. Um, so sounds like sounds like all of us should go birding. Yeah, definitely. What, what I'm getting. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to all of the people that submitted questions on Twitter. 
I just want to make sure though that I ask a few other podcast specific questions yeah, or reflective ones. Yeah. So taking slight pause on the birds, tell us about your podcast gear and any recommendations you have, whether it be for hopeful future guests or, you know, starting out podcasters or anything like that. This is your time to get super gear nerdy. Yeah. So, um, I'm fortunate that my podcast colleague, John Lowry, who does the technical production of this, is much more of a a gear tech head than I am. And he has set me up with a lot of really good stuff. So what what I'm speaking to you right now through is a a brand new mic that I've only had for uh, a few weeks now. And it is an an Electrovoice RE20, which is sort of a standard broadcast professional radio show type mic, which I'm like, like I feel almost not good enough to use, but um, it's really easy for people who are podcasters to kind of get into basic level podcast mic. Like as with binoculars, you know, like the technology starts at the top and trickles down to the point where it becomes you know really affordable. Uh, up until this point, I used a Samson mic, which is a CO1U. Uh, it was a USB mic, so just plug directly, plug and play directly into my my laptop. Yeah, that that's it. And then I just start talking. And then uh, I use Zencaster to record my my interviews, uh, which records them both on on both sides of the interview, so I can edit each track separately, which makes it a lot easier. And then I throw them in Audacity, and I cut the interviews to you know to make them interesting. I think uh, you know cut out superfluous stuff, questions that don't go anywhere, uh, ums and uhs and things of that nature. And then I send them on to John and he cleans them up using some other professional whatnot. He's a musician. He has a band. And so he knows all that stuff. So I let him do it and he cuts everything together, sends it back to me, and then we put them out. And that's sort of the process and the gear all in one. Nice. That all went over my head. <laughs> so, <laughs> some people might find it interesting. So or I'm going to um, help our audience just take a quick pause, digest that. Um, and go back to a slightly more birdie question. Um, <laughs> Got to talk the talk the same language as our audience uh, as well. And so I want to know if you get recognized as a celebrity birder. <laughs> like, do you, do you need to wear a hat and sunglasses when you go birding so that you like don't get recognized or can like bird on your own? Well, or like, the only thing is, is that people don't recognize my face. They only recognize me when I start talking. Oh, okay. And they're like, wait, wait, I know, I know you. And it's, it's happened a few times. It is still kind of weird. You know, celebrity birder is such a, it's an oxymoronic term. <laughs> you know, there's not that many of us and there's even fewer celebrity birders. But I don't, I, you know, as I said, I don't take it for granted that there are people out there who, who listen to the podcast and who um, appreciate it and will recognize me at festivals and stuff. I hope to run into people like that again. I always, always like to hear people who listen to the podcast. It lets me know that they're, that you guys are out there and rather, rather than just like, you know, digits on my, you know, when I tell how many downloads I've, we've, we've gotten. So it's nice to see that there are, that that y'all are out there. So please continue to, to come over and say hello to me. I, I do appreciate it. Yeah. To keep you humble and to keep the audience knowing that like you could just be their birding friend. Yeah. Can you tell me about an embarrassing like flop on the podcast? Something that like you look back on and just kind of cringe a little? Uh, I don't know. You know, I go back and listen to some of the older episodes and it's hard to listen to because I feel like I have I feel like I've grown as a 
presenter and as an interviewer, especially uh, in the four years that we've been doing this podcast. Um, so when I go back and I listen to, you know, the first six months, first eight months, whatever, like it, it's a little cringy, but at the time it didn't feel cringy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ultimately yeah. I have the the power of the edit button. So if it's something really <laughs> embarrassing, I, I will cut it out. I do make a little mistake here and there and people are quick to tell me. In the Bird Book episode recently, I talked about wedge-tailed eagles doing the fire spreading. It's not wedge-tailed eagles. Donna was right. It was the black kites. Thank you. I I was going to note that I made that mistake. But when you're talking like this, sometimes things slip out or you don't notice them or, or you, I say things. I, I mispronounce things all the time, probably people's names all the time. So those people who put them phonetically in the notes, uh, when I read them out, uh, I do appreciate that. That really helps me a lot. Um, so those are the biggest ones. Yeah. So then both for the podcast, but I, even, I would even say like, you know, you can answer this however you want in terms of like 2020. <clears throat> entire podcast career, whatever, what have been some of the most like unexpected and shocking things? Um, I think when we went to a weekly schedule, there was a little bit of worry, at least for me, that we would not have enough content <laughs> to fill <laughs> a weekly schedule. So one of the nice things about being bi-weekly is that, um, you know, two weeks is usually enough to get, to get stuff going. And, and, but we, we've had plenty. And one of the things I like about a weekly schedule, and this is not maybe not getting to the heart of what you're, what you're asking, but um, I feel like I can go deeper into the birding world and deeper into the birding community. And, you know, I don't necessarily feel like every single episode has to be, you know, an important episode with a name, with a birding community name. Um, it can be just, you know, regular people who are doing cool things with birds and we can do more of that, which has been a really fun thing to do um, as we've put out more episodes yeah i mean there's always something to talk about when it comes to birds I right so. yeah either, you can either pick one of the ten thousand species of birds to talk about mm-hmm. or you can talk about different people or different topics or yeah. whatever and i will say like bird twitter is great for this right because there are <laughs> like it's put me in touch with so many you know kind of younger graduate students and scientists and people who are doing like interesting research on birds. And so I have a list of like people that I would like to talk to. And um, if I haven't contacted you yet, chances are you're on my list and I will get to you (laughs) at some point. So watch out. Watch out. Yeah. If you get a direct message from me. Well then given, given all of these conversations that you've had, all of the topics that you've covered, what is something in birding, especially today, that you think gets like overlooked or doesn't get the attention it deserves or, you know, is really going to like take us forward or move the community to the next step? Hmm. Just, you know, kind of synthesize like where where things are. Yeah, it's interesting because we've all been at home for the last nine months. And one of the things that I'm really curious about when this pandemic is over and we get back together and we start going to festivals and bird club meetings and bird walks and all that stuff is how all these big social movements that have had birding community aspects to them are going to manifest you know in the in the quote unquote real world once like the real person person to person world because i'm obviously like you the black birders week movement was 
uh, you know, enormously eye-opening and I think really yeah. important. Uh, bird names for birds as well. And just, you know, this whole rush of new people that are involved in the birding mm -hmm. world because of the pandemic. Like, I want to see what the birding community looks like once we start meeting face-to-face -face again and whether these big movements are going to, you know, change the people that we see at bird club meetings or at bird walks or at festivals. Like, are we going to see the sort of groundswell of new birders of a more diverse community of birders of all that because I, I really hope so and um yeah like obviously we still have more work to do but i think that you know the seeds of these things that are being planted in this time when we are apart from each other are really going to start growing once we are back together or at least i'm really curious to see if that's the case yeah no i think that's really wise and i totally agree with you i mean you know, as a lifelong birder, I remember being a kid and I was the only girl really. And I was definitely always the youngest, even with other kids, I was usually like five years younger or mm -hmm. so. Um, and so I feel like in my life already, we've seen this huge boom, which is so great to see. I love to see it. We have so many more uh, girl birders and we have so many more young birders. Yeah. So to keep that going, yeah, um, just so overdue. Yeah, and I and so much of it is like, I think there's this there's this generation of birders that is younger than me that is probably more closer to you that is coming up into these positions of authority and influence in the birding community, largely because you know social media has sort of been the only way that we've been yeah. able to communicate for almost a year now. And so those voices uh, have more, I don't know, uh, cachet, I guess, you know, birding cultural cachet. And I think that's great. I mean, I think that's so important that we're seeing this sort of sea change. And I, I sort of see myself as sort of both generationally and, I don't know, not necessarily ideologically, but but maybe a little bit, like sort of with a foot in both camps. Like I've been a birder for a long time. Uh, I'm have a foot in sort of the old school birding world. Like I'm on the chair of the bird records committee and at a time when we're even questioning, like, what is the purpose of bird records committees, you know? And, and I've been on the board of Audubon chapters and things like that, but I'm also, I feel like such a great affiliation with the energy behind this group that's coming up behind me. And it's just been really neat to see all these different voices coming in and maybe it's just because I'm extremely online and there's an extremely online aspect of this, but yeah. um, I, that's sort of the way that we've been communicating. And so it's given so much greater influence to these voices that are you know comfortable in this online sphere. I really want to see them take positions of authority and um, influence in the real birding community once the real bird community comes back. And I, I'm excited to see that. Totally agree. Totally think that like the energy behind all of this, the need for all of this mm -hmm. is so it's now, yeah. right? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to kind of both comment, but also be like, I should ask you more questions since I have you. No, please. This is a is conversation. So I think it's great. Um, you know, but I just, I just, again, for the, for the listeners of this episode, I think that's, that is just so valuable. It's truly at the heart of like, right now and where we're going right so i just want to give it the like time and space that it deserves and not undermine it at all to turn it back to the podcast um, one of the things that i really wanted to do with this podcast is to to like amplify that voice and i, I hope that i've done that 
uh, to the extent that I possibly can. But I think that when I started doing this podcast, there were only a few birding podcasts. And I think there was a, you know, the, the ones that did interviews, they talked to, there's a certain type of birder that is sort of seen as a, as a celebrity, for lack of a different word, or people who are very big in our community. And all those people are amazing. You know, I'm thinking of people like uh, David Sibley and, and Julie mm-hmm. and, and Ken Coffin and all those people who have done amazing work for the birding community over the years. Um, but there's so many more people out there, so many more birders out there who have things to say. And I hope that this podcast, this American Birding Podcast, has been able to reach out to them and, you know, give them a platform to say what they need to say, be it, um, you know, Black Birders Week or just some cool research that you're doing or writing a book or whatever. Like, I want the birding community to be bigger and and better and, you know, more connected. I want to bring those kind of groups together in a way that, you know, they've sort of been separate for, for a long time. Yeah. And I guess um, both, again, the podcast, you, your 2020 experience, like, is there anything that you're willing to share, especially since you mentioned about maybe a little bit more old school birding, just any way that your birding has changed, your birding thoughts, philosophy, mentality has changed? I, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm sort of commenting on this change and uh, of a part of this change, but I think that there's a lot of sort of information and acquired knowledge and you know things that we can learn from this from the community that that came before the people that I'm on bird records committees with or the people that I've served on you know Audubon chapter boards and things of that nature like there's so much information that needs to be passed down and I just I'm a crossroads I got a foot in both in both camps and I, I do think part of my role as the host of this podcast is to kind of try and bring those two camps together. Like I want to introduce people who are sort of novice birders or younger birders to this, you know, world of information that is, that has available. But I also want the people who have been birding for decades and decades and decades to sort of acknowledge that there's this new movement coming up full of people with a ton of energy and passion. It's a diverse community of birders more than it ever has been. And like, this is a, this is a world that needs to be acknowledged as well. And, and if, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I'm, like I'm a traffic cop <laughs> between them uh, because, you know, there's, I, these are sort of generational schisms that are not just unique to birding. It's the sort of thing that we're seeing in culture, just generally speaking in the United States and around the world actually. And, and it feels like we're at a, a, a time of change, both, you know, globally and in the birding community. And I just want to, you know, facilitate that change as much as I possibly can, you know, give people the opportunity to feel as though all of their work has been valued. And I think birding is, you know, miles ahead uh, from other communities in that regard, just because that information that people have had for so long is such an important part of the collective knowledge we have in our community. It's just so much to think about right now. And maybe that's because we are at home and not out in the field. All of that processing of this year on personal community, everything levels, and then where are we going to go next year? Okay, so so just to kind of wrap this up, I just wanted to give uh, two last questions. One is any advice, words of wisdom, um, and then just final reflection, again, on this absolutely ridiculous both bird and non-birdie year that we're, we're closing out. I don't know if I have any, any wisdom, but um, I would say, you know, don't have any sacred cows, right? So whether it's your skill as a birder, whether it's your perspective on bird names, whether it's 
you know, splits, lumps, whatever, you know, just be available and open to other viewpoints on that. And just, uh, you know, don't take anything too seriously. It's just birding. And uh, reflections. Hmm. I'm just really grateful to everyone who has stuck with us through the, through the four years. And I'm very thankful to everyone who has listened to this podcast and gotten something out of it and enjoyed it. I am doing the podcast that I, as a birder, wanted to listen to, that I want to listen to. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that there's a lot of other people out there who, who want to come along with me. Well, Nate, I truly could talk to you more. I'm honestly cutting myself off because I don't want to have audience members write in and be like, oh, I was like, so done. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. I am to probably going to have to cut a few things here, but I will make it sound good. Um, I truly am honored to to get the opportunity to interview you, to, to flip the microphone, so to speak. Um, truly am grateful to, to call you a birding friend now. And yeah. I just, you know, just can't wait to get out birding with you again in the future um, and, you know, help spread spread the joy and fun of birds. It's been a year, but uh, I hope that I hope that birding has got people through it. It certainly has helped me. You did a great job. I may just give you your own episode next time. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. Hey, this is your last chance to make a donation or join the ABA in 2020. Join now. Get those Bird of the Year stickers. ABA.org slash join. Make a donation to ABA.org slash gift. We'll love you for it. Make a New Year's resolution to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Consider it a, a holiday present to me. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. Technical productionist by John Lowry, with additional help from with additional help from David Hartley and Greg Neese. You can find us online at ABA.org. All the social medias, Facebook.com slash birders, Instagram at American Birding Association, Twitter at ABA. Questions, comments, concerns, birthday wishes can come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year list. Stay healthy. We'll see you next year.